Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Under the Hoodies. I'm Bill Kegel. I am joined by Tony. Whatever. Uh, Tony, how are you today? I'm great, buddy. How you doing? Man, I, can you, can we can we do this again? Can just how do you say your last name? Denicola. D i n i c o l a. Denicola. Okay, so and I would like I would like for you to. Yes, uh, I would like for you to tell me how I say it and how it's wrong. Uh, you call me Tony whatever, so you don't even try. You, you no, 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 no. Come on, bro. How do I say it and how is it wrong? I get attacked every episode by you about how to say your freaking last name. So I'd love to know how I'm saying it and how how it's incorrect. Because I say Tony DiNicola. Well, you said it maybe twice, and then you said DiNicola or Nicola. Yeah, I only said it twice. Nic- I did not say D Nicola. I said it I said it twice because you were telling me I was saying it wrong. So I figured I would just stop saying it as opposed to getting it wrong. But you know what, Tony? I'm a man of improvement. I, I, I like self betterfication. I just made a word. I like that. Uh so wow. I would like to know how to say your last name. It'd be great. D Nicola. D Nicola. Okay. And I said D D D Nicola. I said D Nicola. How do I say it? Tony D. Nicola. Oh, I did say D. Nicola. Uh, uh, Tony, this is go. not a show where we mock each other, all right? This is an intelligent back and forth show. I like to think of this show as like science, you know, and we're we're regurgitating true hard American fact podcasting here. And I, I just don't understand why, you know, we're 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 lowering ourselves. So uh, whoever the hell you were just doing, Porky Pig. I get popular with people when Porky the Pig messed up in my head. A lot of peas. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Fortunately for you on. and the listeners. I'm going to practice. I, uh, mm-hmm. I failed science. So full disclosure on that one. Sorry to hear that. I think that uh, I think the science yeah. is great. I think yeah. that. That yeah, I I was not very good at science either. I only passed biology because I did so well on the New York State Regents test that even with that, I think I got like a ninety four. Even with that averaged in, my my grade for the year was like a sixty three. But uh, since I did well in the Regents, I just got a nice bump to sixty five, and I was uh, moved on. So I graduated. I Tony, I accomplished a feat that I don't think has been uh, replicated at. Thomas Edison High School ever. So we graduated with 77 people, all right? My wife saw my high school transcript, so she can actually vouch for this. And she'll even point out that I'd never failed a class but graduated seven or 67th out of 77 without failing a single class. If someone could beat that, I want to know who, and I want to know how. I never failed a single class but graduated the bottom 10 of my, uh, my, my class. I mean – of all the things that I've stumbled into and have done in my life, I want to see my daughter, the look on her face, the pride she has in her father for accomplishing such a feat when she's able to understand what feats and greatness are. Just me. Uh, good thing she's still too young. She can hold out of that innocence for a little while longer. She's a doll. Speaking of, uh, speaking of my daughter, how was your Halloween? My daughter's Halloween was fantastic, better than mine, I'll tell you that. Oh, my my Halloween was quite interesting. Uh, we uh, 
fiance's parents have a, you know, an annual Halloween party. Unfortunately, you know, my fiance's father passed away, so this is the first time we did it without him. So me being the fun-loving guy that I am, I try to bring comedy wherever I go. It's some fun and enjoyment for everybody. So when the time came, you know, to figure out who's going to hand out candy to the trick-or-treaters, of course, your boy Tony volunteers because, you know, there's no thing I like better than a crowd. So that was uh, that was a big mistake on their part when that happened. I decided I'm just going to say whatever comes to my mind first thing and just say it to these young, impressionable children of America. It went horribly wrong. In what way? Can I have examples? Uh, let's keep it PG because, remember, this is a show we want playing – during church services, so how dare you? What what happened? Listen, these, what happened? These are little kids. I I didn't I didn't get you know vulgar about it, you know. But the kids are coming to the door, and I never handed out candy before, so I did not know how to properly gauge your inventory. So instead, uh, I, I it turns out I you're supposed to only give them two, maybe three pieces. First couple of kids that came up, I think I gave them twelve to fifteen. So that created a bit of a problem, you know, later on down the road, you know, n- knowing we're going to get about 100 kids out here in the middle of the country. But, you know, kids are coming up to the door. Uh, we have this one group of uh, four little girls all dressed as princesses, adorable. They're walking up the front yard, and, uh, you know, they get really excited. They're little kids. It happens. So they start to run a bit. You can see the parents down by the sidewalk, and they tell them, hey, you know, slow down. Be careful. So me being the smartest that I am, I decide to say, hey, uh, I only got enough candy for three of you, so uh, you guys better make it quick. Next thing you know, those three little girls are, four little girls, I should say, are sprinting up to the front door. But the uh, one that got me and probably, you know, could have gotten me in a lot of trouble was, uh, and this, the good thing about this is a family friend was over and witnessed this firsthand. This lady and her two adorable little kids come up, and they're dressed as uh, Chucky, and I think the other character was Tiffany from one of the Child's Play sequels. And yeah, they're mm-hmm. like four or five years old. Look, this kid looks exactly like Chucky, and I'm like, oh, that's that's a great costume. And the mom's right there with him. I'm like, oh, he looks amazing. That's a great costume. She's like, oh, thanks. It's, you know, it took a lot of time. It's great. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's interesting. You know, that you dress him as Chucky, considering you know he's probably too young to have ever seen the movie. And she's like, oh, no, no, we let him watch it. He's seen all of them. And me not missing a beat for an opening. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. You know, scar your children while they're young. You know, they won't have any irreparable damage done to them. That is insane to me because Child's Play is still one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I, I still get a little bit of anxiety as a 30, almost 33-year-old when I watch that movie. That's a That's a pretty brutal movie. Um, yeah, I mean, think crazy, about it, man. You're a little kid. Yeah, think about it. You're a little kid. You know, what's your whole entire world as a little kid? It's toys, right? You love toys. So that the premise of that movie is a toy is going around murdering people, and you're dressing like the freaking toy that's out killing people. That's a horrifying movie to watch for a little kid. My dad did this to me, too. And, Tony, we all know how mentally stable I am. We should have – you know what? Oh, yeah. You know what we should have done? We should have had a nice preamble explaining how you and I – have a difficult time being normal human beings because you and I would have had the same exact problem. I think with this, with passing out candy, I did the same thing. I was just going in fistfuls to kids. I had to, I had to get reeled in and I got relieved of my uh, candy passing out duties at the in-laws. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a rough one. So you and I have that issue. And then I think a lot of times, I mean, as demonstrated on this show, 
And I, I'm a little bit more reserved on this show because, again, we would like people. We're, we're really, I mean, really what the show's aiming to do, we're trying to get on a Christian FM network. Um, so really what we're trying to do is do a, a good show here. So I'm actually a lot, I'm, I'm very reserved on the show as opposed to in real life. But the enthusiasm I passed out candy with was, uh, was only met with criticism and, and excess. So I, I learned that I can't do that again. So, Tony, you and I on some level have the same problem with our quick wit that I learned that a lot of people don't really like. They're not a fan of our wit. Yeah, I, I would feel much more comfortable on the Jewish radio station personally. I just I have much love for the song How the Nagila. See. So anyway, basically, uh if I had any Halloween stories, I would just say that we gave my daughter uh candy for the first time and uh she turned into an absolute lunatic. She was running down the streets of Lancaster, New York, screaming at the top of her lungs. She's only sixteen and a half months old. Screaming at the top of her lungs, she got an abnormal amount of candy. She was dressed like a bumblebee, cute as a button. My wife was dressed as a bumblebee, also cute as a button. And, uh, you know, we had ourselves a first official Halloween. Because last year, she was four months old. And all they do when they're four months old, they just lay there. You know, it's not like they're, you know, exactly. They're not exactly a ball of fun. They're adorable. They're really cute. And, you know, as a parent, you want them to go back to that age. Because that's really when they're at their, 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 um, I don't know. As a parent, I mean, that's really the age I think I want my daughter. They're, they're sort of at their, not necessarily their peak cuteness, but they're 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 transitioning out of that tiny infant helpless stage into a little bit more independence. But that four month age, man, there, there's not a cuter thing in the world than a little kid at that age. My daughter now is adorable, but and I'm not saying it because she's my daughter. I mean, I think even you would acknowledge there's a little heart beating in your chest, and I think even you would acknowledge that she's a uh, she's an adorable little girl. But she went absolutely bonkers. She uh, she put a whole Kit Kat in her mouth, the little little fun size ones, um, and it was sideways, poking both of her cheeks out. And she managed to eat it. And then again, like I said, managed to. Uh, this was about six thirty. At about eight, she was out like a light. She slept for almost ten and a half hours, which is which is you know for her a some kind of record. So that was good. So I've been giving her. Uh, kick. My wife will never listen to this, but I've been giving her Kit Kats for the last um, what are we going on? Two nights uh, after Halloween, and uh, she's been sleeping fantastic. It's awesome. So, parents, uh, the doctor will never tell you this, but your kid's really sugar high around 6, 6.30. They'll pass out between 8 and 9, and they will sleep like babies. It's it's fantastic. So, Tony, again, if you need some more parenting advice, you come to this guy. So, um but yeah. Oh yeah, I I'll be sure okay. to do that when I have children one day, and I ever want to give them diabetes. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, talk about the show. I uh, actually had a really funny joke that I, I didn't want to make because, again, uh, you know, we're trying to get onto a Christian and/or Jewish FM radio station. I mean, really, that's the goal of this website. So, um, this website so, and this show. So, anyway. What you're saying, then, is I shouldn't make jokes about how, at an early age, you're teaching your daughter how to eat phallic-shaped objects. That's what you're saying. No, I've never seen anything like a Kit Kat before in my life, so I don't understand where you're going there. So, anyway, uh, she just oh, likes okay. chocolate bars. I don't see what the problem is here. Um, again... Uh, Our Christian yeah. fan base is going to be very upset at that joke. So, Tony, mm. 
let's switch to uh, to, to a better uh, to a more tasteful topic because this is a tasteful show. This is tasteful oh, yeah. with uh, Tony and Bill. We're going to talk about uh, Game Seven of the World Series. How much of this series did you watch, and how much of last night did you watch? Because it was a rough one up here on the East Coast. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was fully invested in this thing as much as I could be. I mean, working, getting up at 5 in the morning is rough, especially on the East Coast with these games. God forbid, you got to have them in prime time. you got to get those those viewing numbers. you got to have it on, you know, past 8 o'clock at night. But I'd say I watched probably 80 to 85% of it. Um, I did fall asleep toward the end last night. I mean, it went 10 innings plus a rain delay. I tried my best. I ended up falling asleep, I think, around the eighth inning. I woke up after it was over and went back and saw what happened. But I got to tell you, man, I, I grew up as a baseball fan. I, you know, with most people, it's been boring the last few years. But this, I think, was one of the greatest World Series of all time. I was so invested in this. It just action-packed, back and forth. You had two underdog teams that hadn't been there in a – well, hadn't won it in a combined, I think, like 160 years. And my barometer for, you know, entertainment like this with sports is I'm a diehard fan. I'll watch almost anything. But when my mother-in-law and my fiancé want to watch it, like basically text me during the day, when's the World Series on tonight? Let's watch it. That shows you right there that it's, it's a big-time sports feel. So, I don't know. How much did you watch, Bill? About the same as you. I fell asleep last night about – the last thing I actually remember is John Lester striking out uh, – or uh, getting a strikeout to end the seventh inning. That's the very, very last thing I remember. And um, – uh, sorry to end their, their half of the seventh inning. Jeez. And uh, that's the last thing I remember. But um, overall, it's been a great series. I mean, think about all the – think about all the um, – I mean, then we're going to get back to this real quick. But think about this year in sports. The Super Bowl is kind of bad. But then think about the NCAA tournament this year. I mean, uh, the uh, just the national cha- the the national championship, the college football national championship, the basket college basketball national championship, the um, the the NBA finals was amazing. Like uh, game seven of that game is still one of the best. One of my favorite basketball games. Not the best, but definitely one of my favorite basketball games we've ever seen. And then this, this, this to me, the, the, the World Series sort of tops it all. And I'm not a huge baseball fan. I'm more of an NFL, college football, and um, NBA fan, as you know. And, uh, I mean, to me, this is maybe in my lifetime, because I, I wasn't alive for Miracle on Ice, but in my lifetime, this last night was probably the biggest sports moment of my lifetime. Not to me personally, just the just the sports moment that's happened in my lifetime. Just given the curse of the Cubs and how long it's been that franchise, who has a it's it's one of the few it's it's one of the few teams uh, cities in America where the baseball team, not the football team, the baseball team is the big dog in town, and specifically the Cubs. They have two baseball teams, and the Cubs trump all of it. Right? They're the, you know the Hawks have been successful. And the Bears have been okay. They've been in the Super Bowl in the last 10 years. The White Sox won a Super Bowl, or excuse me, won a World Series, you know, about 10 years ago. The Bulls have Michael Jordan. But for the Cubs to win in that town, being the biggest deal in that town of all their sports franchises in the third biggest city in this country is massive. I mean, the fact that they haven't won since 1908 is insane. Babe Ruth was 13 years old in 1908. World War I hadn't even started. 
there's there's just insane stories all over the all over the country about how important this game was, and, and it, it's just amazing to me. It, it's like I said, I, I was happy. I was really happy the Cubs won. I have a really good friend who's actually going to be joining us in the next handful of episodes to talk about Syracuse basketball. Um, who's been a Cubs fan his whole life. And I can't even imagine the feeling he's he's having today. And everybody in Chicago that has lived and died with this team their whole life. And, and that 90-year-old woman they kept showing during the broadcast uh, since, I believe, game six of the NLCS they've been showing her. And uh, just, just for people like that, it's just this, this is such a massive, massive uh, sports moment for uh, – just if you like sports in oh, general. she was great. She should be, like, huge. Yeah, she was great. I love that woman. I think she was 90. And think about – Think about yeah. that. Ninety years old. When she was born, there was a twenty-six-year drought. Think <laughs> it's insane. So um, I mean, well, I'm using a after lot of one of the year, but I think it's warranted. Yeah. After one of the games, I believe she said she was going to go home and take a shot of whiskey. No, it was after they won the pennant. She was going to go home and have a shot of whiskey. This ninety-year-old woman. I mean, she was adorable. Yeah. She was the best. Crazy yeah, no, to I think love about. Her. I um, mean. We're both in our 30s, and our grandparents lived their entire lives and never saw the Cubs win a World Series. But it's mind-boggling nope. how long it's been. Yeah. I mean, my grandfather would be 84. Um, it's 116 years, so what, 32 years? And his, you know, before he was born? That's, so, that's my lifetime plus his lifetime, if he was still alive right now. Of, of the Cubs not winning. That, that to me is just that's absolutely insanity. And, I mean, again, I'm using a lot of hyperbole, but it's, it's one of the few times where it's actually warranted in sports, which is kind of nice. But I don't know, man. I, I think it was huge. I, I was really impressed with just the Cubs in general, just just their young studs coming through. Addison, um, Addison Russell at 22 years old. Tony, we're not going to get into specifics, but, I mean, on a scale from 1 to 10, how big of a – with 10 being the biggest mess, how big of a mess were you? on that scale of one to 10, I was about a nine and a half. Oh yeah. Nine and a half, 10. I mean, my God, it was, it was just riveting stuff. And the fact that right. the world series this past Sunday night finally beat the NFL in the ratings. I mean, and Sunday day, I will talk about it was Eagles Cowboys. It's not like it was a bad game. It was a really good game. Right. The fact that they could finally right. do that. Like, I don't, I don't know how baseball yeah. can build on this momentum, but they need to find a way. Like they've, they've, they're finally, you know, in the conscience of America again, everyone's talking about them. Like everybody was watching. It's the, the ratings were huge. Yeah. They, uh, 25, uh, 25 million. I, are uh, the rating was a 25.2, which I'm, I'm forgetting the exact system. That's about half of a Super Bowl for a baseball game. And if you look at baseball games, I mean, there was times last year and the year before where, you know, the Titans-Jaguars Thursday night games was, were, would beat uh, baseball postseason games. NFL preseason games would beat baseball pre, uh, postseason games. It, it's, it, I mean, it, it's been embarrassing. So with the, with the MLB, I think, I think how they can build off of this is – they need to start developing young stars. Um, MMA or uh, UFC does a really good job of developing stars. Um, you know what? Best example I can think of the WWE. Who does a better job of them than promoting their individual stars? Probably no other sport, right? And I know whatever yeah. uh, is, is is wrestling a sport. It's it's a very divisive con- um, it's a very divisive uh, uh, conversation or whatever with people, uh, especially the, yeah. the wrestling. Don't get people like on yourself, that to me. The one thing. 
the one thing that they excel at that all the other sports are trying to catch up to them is, is, is harvesting and manufacturing stars. It, it's really impressive. And baseball should take a page out of the WWE's book and do that so people watch it because they have a lot of good young stars. I mean, is there a better-looking guy in sports than Chris Bryant? Probably not. Um, and I'm only well, saying that see, because my buddy's wife is obsessed with him. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and then there's Bryce Harper. There's Mike Trout. Uh, there's just a lot of there's good Kyle young talent. For the and they have the young guys. I love that guy. You just need to market them. Get them out there. Schwarber and I have the there. exact same body. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think this is a really good uh, launch point for baseball, and I hope that they can, you know, because there's a lot of money in baseball. I mean, local markets in baseball, you, you know, they make a ton of money. And I've always said if I had the ability to play a pro sport, it's not even a question. I love football, but that would be dead last on my list. Um, baseball would be it because you can play the longest you can, you know, you could have a really long career. Uh, you can make a whole bunch of money. You get two, three massive contracts. Um, guaranteed. So yeah, it's, uh, guaranteed money, whether you play or not. A-Rod, A-Rod was cashing checks until like two months ago. Like that, that to me. Bobby Bonilla is still being paid by the Mets. Bobby freaking Bonilla is still under their payroll. Like, come on. Uh, Big shout out to Steve Phillips. Good job there, buddy. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, but yeah, that's a great. That's a. <laughs> Bobby Bonilla made one of the smartest business decisions I've ever seen in my life, which was having his contract deferred. He, that was such a smart retirement plan by him. Oh man, who who do you think has a harder time sleeping at night or sleeping before uh, before their big day? Little kid on Christmas Eve, about six years old, or uh, Bobby Bonilla on June thirtieth before he gets his. Uh, his, his check from baseball. That's Do you nuts. think he gets it direct deposited, or does he get it just sent to him, and he just gets to, like, skip his way down to the bank, like, you know, just like the happiest music in the world playing in his head, and he's just all smiles? Like, to me, man, I'm, I want that check mailed to me, and I want to cash it myself, just for the sheer sense. Yeah, I think he's like that kid in uh, Willy Wonka with a crappy uh, haircut, sprinting down the street, you know, heading to the, heading to the local Bank of America. To, uh, to deposit his check. Yeah, I think that, to me, that's what Bobby Bedia does in his Mets t-shirt. <laughs> Very visual. But, um, yeah. Um, it'd be funny to see Bobby Bedia with that same haircut. I mean, if Sammy Sosa can essentially be a white male, then uh, Bobby Bedia can have long, weird blonde hair. So, but uh, you ever <laughs> see that picture of Sammy Sosa, by the way, where he's a scary white male? So weird. It's oh, the yeah. weirdest thing I've ever seen. And it looks like somebody so him. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like. It's kind of funny, actually. That's a good way to say it. Um, that's exactly what he looks like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, all right, let's put a bow on this uh, this Cubs talk and talk some football. So, uh, very excited for the Cubs. Very excited for my buddy Brian. Um, and, uh, you know, again, huge, huge sports moment last night. Uh, very yeah. upset with If you're not excited, speak, but... you're either a Cleveland Indians fan or you're just – you're a curmudgeon. I mean, how can you not be happy for him? You're a, you're a sociopath. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, I got something to address, too. I didn't tell you about this in advance. All right. Am I the only person on the planet that doesn't hate Joe Buck? I thought he did. I thought he was fantastic. I always, I'm the only person on the planet I know other than Joe Buck's mom and maybe Colin Cowherd that enjoy Joe Buck. I think, he's, I think he does a really good job. I, I'm in the, I know I'm in the minority here. Yeah, God, man, you, you definitely I, are. I just don't get it. I, I, I don't, I, I don't understand what everyone sees. I don't when when they hate him. I don't get it. I think uh, he's really good at I'll, his job. 
I'll give him this. He's more tolerable, I think, doing baseball. Obviously, too, I believe that's his best sport. You know, he grew up under his dad, Jack Buck, who was, you know, did the announcing the game forever. I think he's much more tolerable. I think what makes him better now is I love John Smoltz as a color commentator. Full disclosure, I am an he's Atlanta great. Rams fan, so Smoltz is my yeah. guy. No, but Smoltz is so Smoltz good at color fantastic. commentary now. He's so much yeah. better than Tim McCarver. I think it just makes Buck yes. a little more tolerable. Tolerable, excuse me, jeez. It's a tough word. I'm not even going to try. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, of, yeah, you know what? Buck, I'll give you that. Did you, yeah, go ahead. did you see about how the Indians fans were trolling him online because of his love for Kyle Schwarber? Yes. The, some of the memes? Yeah, it's pretty they funny. They even went as far yeah. as to uh, create a wedding registry at Bed Bath & Beyond for those two, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. I love when people do that. I love The Internet's so creative. Um, that's really funny. I, I, you know what though? He's a Cardinals fan. So, so trust me, that's all for TV or he had a producer telling him to do that. Buck's a Cardinals fan. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah Bill Simmons Cardinals on his fans. podcast today brought up, yeah, Bill Simmons on a podcast today brought up the fact that, um, uh, he brought up, um, uh, why am I drawing? Araldis Chapman's domestic violence uh, issues in the eighth inning, which is kind of a a slight troll of the uh, of the Cubs fan base. That they're just to remind yeah, them, just ever geez. so slightly, that they're rooting for a guy that may or may not be that good of a guy. If you want to, if you get bored sometimes, go ahead and get online and uh, Google some Araldis Chapman stories. They're really fascinating. Uh, he's a he's a he's a sketchy dude, real sketchy dude. Um, just as a teaser, for one, he walked into his hotel room. I forget what city he was in when it happened, and his girlfriend was tied up to a chair with tape around her mouth. No clue anything outside of that, but that was the story. Oh, kind of interesting. Fun. Yeah, so, um, all right, you're listening to Under the Hoodies. I'm Bill Kegel. That's Tony DeNicola. And um, uh, there you go. Follow us. At on Twitter at Bill Kegel, B I L L K E A G L E, and Tony at the new Twitter handle, Tony Cuse44. Again, Tony Cuse44. If you don't know how to spell Cuse, uh, I'm not even going to tell you because you should know how to spell it because they're very, very good. If you don't know how to spell Cuse, you're you're an evil Georgetown fan, and I don't even want you listening. So get out of here. Yeah, or or even worse, a UConn fan. So, um, oh God. All right, man. We're gonna do our uh, we're gonna do the segment that we always that every other uh, hack uh, podcast, sports show, whatever does. We're gonna do our uh, mid season NFL awards, but we're gonna give a caveat. We're gonna exclude the New England Patriots from this. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick cannot be nominated because that would make it too easy, um, especially Belichick this yeah. year. I mean, the coaching job he's doing this year. Granted, the competition seems uh, uh, abnormally uh, bleak. Uh, definitely more than normal. So, uh, but we're going to go, we're going to go into it. So, um, who do you have for MVP or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll, I'll let you take the honor. I want to think about it a bit. Okay. I was torn on this. I've been going back and forth between Matt Ryan and Derek Carr. And the reason I'm going to go with Derek Carr is because he did something that Matt Ryan did back in 2008, which is Derek Carr came into a situation um, not quite to the level that Matt Ryan did, at least individually with changing the culture of Atlanta, but Derek Carr went into a, a team, a culture, a city 
very, very sordid past uh, of a city, very rough city, um, and uh, with a with a terrible stadium, terrible ownership, um, you know, and and sort of transform them into a maybe they're a Super Bowl pretender this year, but they won't be for long. And as a second round pick, and has transformed that team into the second best team in the AFC. I think of the playoffs starting started today. Excuse me. I think they'd be the two seed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and now think about the things he's overcoming for them to get that. Uh, and I don't like this, oh, look who they played. You play who you play, you win the games that you win. It's, I, I don't like that splitting hairs thing. It's like you can't, you know, you can't, it's not college football where, you know, you're Iowa and then you choose to play all these crap teams and then you just roll through them and then, you know, you want everyone to pat you on the back. I mean, you play who's in front of you in the NFL. You know, Mark Davis didn't get on the phone and was like, I want to play Jacksonville eight times and we're going to beat them six of the eight. So, so he's overcoming a terrible defense, one of the worst in the league. He's overcoming the most penalized team in the league. I mean, they broke the record for penalties in a game against Tampa, which was embarrassing. But he's overcoming that, and he's leading that team to a 6-2 and two record, which obviously would translate over the next eight games into a 12-4 and four record for a team that has traditionally – you know, since since John Gruden left, uh, the year after John Gruden left, they went to the Super Bowl. But after that, they've been an absolute dumpster fire. And um, into a, uh, you know, they they could be playing for the AFC spot in the Super Bowl this year against New England. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. So I, I've been going, I went back and forth with uh, Matt Ryan and Derek Carr, but I think I'm going to go with Derek Carr over Matt Ryan for that reason, just because what he has to overcome and just the duct tape that that guy is for that uh, for that defense because uh, he's overcoming a lot with the rest of that team. So uh, who do you have? Well, I was I went back and forth between Matt Ryan and call me a homer all you want for the Cowboys, but I got to give some love to my boy Zeke. I mean Ezekiel Elliott leading the NFL in rushing, 799 yards, five touchdowns, powering that offense. And like I've said before, he's also powering that defense. And what I mean by that is time of possession. The Cowboys lead the league in time of possession. You lead the time of possession, you keep the other team's offense off the field. You don't have the greatest defense in the world. I mean, the Cowboys' pass rush, pass rush is been pretty non-existent for the most part. It is getting better. But still, you keep that offense off the field, your defense doesn't have as many time, or shots to give up big points, keep it competitive, you control the game, you control the tempo. And also, too, like I said before with Zeke, with his blocking in the passing game. I mean, he's keeping his rookie, he's keeping his jersey clean, keeping him from getting that blindside hit, that linebacker coming up the A-gap and just clocking him. I, I got to go with Zeke, man. I mean, Dallas is 6-1. Dallas is and one. Nobody really saw it coming with a rookie quarterback, a rookie running back. Uh, Des Bryant out hurt for most of the season, just coming back. I'm giving some love to my boy Zeke. I have to. As a Giants fan, um, I would I would love to troll you and say that I think you're being biased, but I can't argue. Uh, I can't argue against Zeke Elliott. I mean, the guy's been incredible. He's so much fun to watch. I think his career is going to be short, but if they get a Super Bowl out of that, then uh, well worth it and good on him. Hopefully he gets a big contract um, because I, I, I think what he's doing this year and what Dallas is doing this year on offense is special. And, uh, yeah, hard to argue with it, man. It's really hard to argue with it. And uh, the sort of segue into my coach of the year, again, excluding Belichick, unpopular opinion here, especially as a Giants fan, this might be sacrilegious, but I think what Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan are doing with that offense is absolutely impressive. And I think 
uh, Jason Garrett is my uh, coach of the year this year. I think he's handling Dak Prescott perfectly, putting him in positions to win. Dak is coming through, but but I think the job that Jason Garrett's doing with him and uh, and Zeke Elliott, but specifically with Dak right now, is just, just absolutely impressive. It's a great. It, 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 this is this makes me this makes me sometimes because obviously Jerry Jones is a smart guy, all right. But I've always made the joke that if Jerry Jones worked for Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones the GM worked for Jerry Jones the owner. Jerry Jones, the owner, would fire Jerry Jones, the GM. But a lot of people question why he's been sticking with Jason Garrett. And all the credit in the world to Jerry Jones because good on him because Jason Garrett has been fantastic this year with that. No weird clock management issues. It's just, you know, you know, Des Bryant being an absolute nut job in the locker room, all his issues. And I, I'm just really impressed with the job he's doing. Um, a bend don't break defense. It's actually been a little bit better than people thought. Sean Lee being healthy all year helps. Getting a lot out of Mo Claiborne this year. I mean, that a lot of that goes to Rod Marinelli, but Jason Garrett oversees all of it. And I think that if you're going to give the defensive coordinator credit, you're going to give the offensive coordinator credit. You're going to give everybody else on the team credit. And they're seven and one. You got to give it to Jason Garrett, man. I, I think I think maybe even over Belichick. I, I Jason Garrett might be my guy. Um, I'll say you. Oh well. Mine, I'm kind of going outside the box. I got to give them some love because they're 6-2 and two and they got a huge game against Denver. I got to go Jack Del Rio with Oakland. And it sounds kind of weird because they did just commit the most penalties and yardage in NFL history this past Sunday against Tampa Bay. But, I mean, you got you to gotta give them some credit. It's Oakland. I mean, how bad of a dumpster fire have they been for so many years? And now they have this great offense led by Carr. Their wide receivers, Crabtree, has basically re-energized his career in Oakland. Amari Cooper, you got Murray as a running back. They just have all these weapons. And if they can just get that, you know, one of the worst defenses in the league going, I think this team can be really special and dangerous. And I, I cannot tell you how I'm excited I am for Sunday Night Football when they play Denver. This is one of the best games of the year written all over it. But I, And also, too, Jack Del Rio, the guy has – the guy's got guts, man. He's got the cojones. He's not afraid to go for it on fourth down and to win the game or to go for two. He's, they have the shot. He wants to win it. I I respect that, man. It, well, you're putting yourself out there as a coach, too, because if it backfires, that's all you're going to hear about all week long is how you screwed up. But he, you know, he puts his butt on the line. I respect him for it. I agree with you. Um I, 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 it's hard to disagree with that. I think the only problem I would have with Jack Del Rio is the penalties and the uh, the, the poor play of the defense. Um, and as being a defensive guy, uh, he is, you know, but that's just me. That's just my opinion. I don't think he's a bad choice. Uh, but that's, I mean, the reason I went with Jason Garrett over, over Jack Del Rio or um, or even maybe Belichick, like I said, uh, is just, is just, you know, I, I, I do think they're a little bit undisciplined, but I, I I definitely think they're. I definitely think you're 100 percent right. I mean, going for it on fourth downs and just being just being a risk taker and and showing his team that he trusts them is is great. I think what he's doing is fantastic. And Jack Del Rio, people forget he wasn't exactly a dumpster fire in Jacksonville. He was very good with the with the limited talent he had. He had him in the playoffs a few times. I, I think Jack Del Rio is a really good coach, and I definitely don't disagree with your uh, with your uh, choice there. So, all right, we're gonna do offensive player of the year. So obviously it can or it can or can't be you know uh, your your MVP, but uh, offensive player of the year um, for me Tony is going to be 
I'm struggling with this one a little bit. I'm I'm trying to decide between Zeke um, and AJ Green and Julio Jones, um, but I think I'm going to go with Elliott. I I think just what he's doing and and just to get this out of the way too, I think Elliott is going to be my uh, offensive rookie of the year. As much as I would like to give it to Dak, I think I think Elliott is just special. I think he's worth the pick he was taken. Uh, and just the numbers he's accumulating on the ground, he can catch the ball. He doesn't really have any flaw in his game. And a lot of it's coming out this year. I mean, the way he's like, the way he can bounce to the outside, run in between tackles, he does everything that you want a running back to do. And he's so polished for a rookie. And like you pointed out, he's keeping his quarterback, he's keeping his quarterback safe um, from hits uh, by just being an elite pass blocker. And you don't see that in rookies. I mean, that's the big thing with rookie running backs. A lot of reasons when when you when you have a good rookie running back and he doesn't play, a huge part of it is because of his pass pro and he's Ezekiel Elliott is absolutely a force of nature just in every aspect of playing running back and it's hard for me to argue. Um, I don't. I mean, there's a distant second place rookie of the year and it's Dak Prescott, but I think Zeke is so far ahead of that and I think he's just so far ahead of everybody else and I think he's as as much to do with the success of the Dallas Cowboys this year as Dak Prescott is so I, I and Jason Garrett excuse me and uh I, that's why he's I for me he's both of those he's offensive player of the year and I think he's offensive rookie or uh yeah offensive player of the year and offensive rookie of the year well I I gotta show some love to Matt Ryan man I mean we keep bringing him up as you know a potential MVP or was our second choice I mean offensively the guy is rushing it this year, leading the NFL in passing with 2,600 yards, a completion rating uh, percentage of 69.2, 19 touchdowns versus only four picks. And we've even seen in games where Julio Jones has been less than phenomenal at times where, you know, maybe he'll have like four or five catches for 60 or 70 yards. Matt Ryan's still powering this team, throwing 329 yards per game, second in the NFL with a 115.8 passer rating. And he's got the Falcons at 5-3, and three, leading that division, playing Tampa tonight, which I expect them to win, put him at 6-3. and three. If it's not for an absurd pass interference call, that, well, non-call, I should say, of Richard Sherman on Julio Jones in that game a few weeks ago, you know, you're looking at Atlanta possibly being, you know, 7-2 and two tonight if it wasn't for that. So, yeah, yeah, Matt Ryan, I mean, as far as offense goes, he's powering it. In your offensive rookie of the year, since I did both. Oh, rookie of the year. Uh, offensive, yeah. I picked, yeah, I picked Zeke for MVP, so I, I'd have to show some love to Dak. I mean, what Prescott is doing, calm, cool, collective, the maturity, he's not forcing anything. You know, his numbers have been great. I think he's only thrown two interceptions now. The guy's leading the team, making throws when it counts. And what really – showed how far he's come to me was the game against the Eagles on Sunday night where he, first three quarters, I mean, he was pretty pretty pedestrian, if not just terrible. I mean, he looked like a rookie. But when it counted on that final game-time drive, I believe he went 5-6 of six or 5-5 five of five on his throws, let him down the field for the game-time score. And then again in overtime, let him down the field, scrambles around, you know, makes some time for his receivers, finds Jason Winton wide open in the end zone for the game-winning score. I I love the kid's toys. I love his attitude. And I, I love his leadership qualities. Yeah, hard to disagree with all that. Um, so, uh, defensive player of the year this year. This is a rough one, too, because I want to go Von Miller. I want to go um, 
I want to go in a lot of different directions, I guess. I, I think that there's been some uh, worthwhile candidates. Um, you know, Akeem Talib has been okay. Uh, there's there's just a number of guys. Um, your boy Sean Lee has really done a good job clogging up the middle there for uh, Dallas. But I, I really have to go with a, an absolute difference maker as a cornerback, or uh, a true shutdown guy who I don't know why quarterbacks haven't figured out to stop throwing to his side of the field, but Marcus Peters, Marcus Peterson won, Marcus Peters, excuse me, won rookie of the year last year. Uh, had nine interceptions this year. He has five so far. Um, and he's just been an absolute lockdown corner in a division that has a lot of uh, skilled quarterbacks and skilled receivers. And I think he's just been absolutely phenomenal. So um, as much as I'd like to give a Devon Miller or somebody on the Broncos or somebody on the, on the Vikings, I mean, I really think the best, the best defensive player this year has been Marcus Peters. Oh, for mine, uh, as much as I just destroy Buffalo, it seems, on these podcasts, and don't worry, folks, I'm going to destroy them even more later. I will show them some love. Lorenzo Alexander, the leading sack, uh, leading sacker in the NFL this year with nine, he's having a great year. I mean, he's helping power that defense, helping them improve. Three forced fumbles, 36 tackles. For once, I'll show Buffalo Bill some love because it's very well earned. Yeah, I agree. And um, uh, tough one's going to be defensive rookie of the year. Um, I, you know, uh, it's it's tough. Um, I don't. I, I can't really think of anybody that stood out. Um, I'm actually having a hard time pulling up my list right now uh, for whatever reason. But mm, I don't know. It, it, defensive rookie of the year is weird because this year there doesn't seem to be a lot of good defensive rookies this year. Uh, excuse me. I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling while I'm uh, fixing my computer, so I apologize. Um, and, uh, I, I, boy, I, I, sorry, buddy, I'm pulling, I'm trying to pull up my list right now, and I'm um, having you, you, issues. Do you want me to hand. get mine while you're looking? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead while I, uh, while I struggle through this. Oh, I, I think you're missing the obvious. I mean, the, the draftee at Ohio State, Joey Bosa for the Chargers, four sacks already, and, I think he's played three or four games, you know, after the, the holdout this offseason. The guy's just come on like a force of nature. See, the problem I have with him is the fact that he hasn't played that many games. Um, you know, I, I would like to see a bigger sample size. Uh, and that's a, that's a lot of the problem I have with um, with Eli Apple and another part of the problem I have with um, – Oh, excuse me, with uh, Eli Apple and with, jeez, um, I'm having a freaking stroke today. Uh, Carl Joseph, good God, Bill. Um, that's the pro- that's the problem I have with Eli Apple, Carl Joseph, um, is that they haven't played, you know, a ton of games yet. I mean, I really think probably is my guy would be Jalen Ramsey for the for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and I think, I, and I, I really think that is because he does a good job as a cornerback. You know, coming up and making tackles, he's big, he's physical, but he also does a really good job uh, covering receivers downfield. Um, he's not thrown to a whole ton, and uh, he he to I don't know to me he's been playing he's played a lot of snaps for them uh, more than Bosa has for San Diego and and uh, but that's mine. That was the toughest category to come up with somebody because it's kind of hard for one to watch to watch, uh, you know, to watch a lot of defensive players and to uh, – and no one's really stood out, I mean, other than Bosa until he's come in. But I just don't know if the sample size for Bosa and Carl Joseph is there. 
but uh, that that's I don't know, but that that's just me. I I, I think I um, I don't know. I, I think that there's uh, I think this this might end up being a, a weak year for uh, for for defensive rookies anyway. Outside of Bosa, um, uh, Keanu Neal's getting a little love too. I I I don't know. I I, I think that uh, I really think that. I think the Jalen Ramsey, just considering how how the transition is for cornerbacks coming into the NFL as rookies, is is tough. And I think he's doing a good job picking it up. And I think on a defense that was supposed to be a lot better than what it is, I think that he is uh, he's playing um, above and beyond as much as a rookie can. So he's going to be he's my vote right now. But that's as of right now. So when we do the end of the year, uh, that may change. But as of right now, that's who I'm staying with. Not so, bad. just to remind everybody, you are listening to Under the Hoodies with Tony DeNicola and Bill Teagle. I got your name right. And um, hey, well, I, we're going to jump into the next – yeah, we're going to jump into the next topic here. And um, something I sort of skipped over with baseball or whatever, and uh, I think this is something we can cover next week. So, the Theo Epstein you saw in the description, we did sort of skip over it a little bit, but – we're going to go into the Theo Epstein next week because I actually want to sort of come up with a uh, – I have sort of a a uh, thing I'm sort of working on just just, just um, mentally. So where it, it's sort of where I think Theo Epstein goes from here. Does he stay in Chicago? Does he continue to build that? Or I have a theory that similar to Paul D. Podesta, he would maybe try his hand in a different sport. I don't see it. But I think it'd be really fascinating to see if his ability to scout talent is translatable, especially a guy as young as he is. So, um, so if you saw that in the description, we'll talk about that next episode. But I definitely wanted to, uh, definitely don't want to, uh, you know, squeak by that without without going into that. And uh, I'd be curious to see your thoughts on that when uh, when I give you a little time, uh, give us a little time to to uh, you know work on that. So. But right now, I wanted to uh, go into the uh, – I have a question for you, basically. What do you think – what do you think – I guess the best way to ask it would be, is Dallas going to come out of the NFC this year? Take your biases out of it, not that you have bias, but I'm saying take as much of your biases out of it as you can. Think of it as an objective non-Dallas Cowboy fan and let me know just on paper – and just seeing what this team has done over the first eight games, which is a good enough sample size as any for for an NFL team, do they have what it takes to get to the Super Bowl and represent the a- NFC? I uh, non-biased opinion, even a biased opinion. I I think they have all the tools. I I think it's definitely possible. I mean, if they keep relying on the running game the way they're playing, keep this keep this chemistry going. Uh, I mean, they're definitely going to come out of the East for sure. They have Cleveland next. They still have games against Tampa Bay, Detroit, Washington on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, if this team doesn't go at least 11-5, and I'm going to be very surprised. But the NFC is just – there's a lot of average teams. I think the biggest test will probably be if they could beat Seattle. And the key with beating Seattle – for sure is getting home field advantage. The last thing you want to do is go up to Seattle and play a playoff game in their place. So I think if they just keep chugging along, winning games, get that number one pick, I think, you know, I think Dallas is sitting in a very good position. And, but that can also be part of my worry that they're sitting in a great position and they get too comfortable. But, I, I mean, I'm hoping and praying for 
the Patriots Cowboys Super Bowl. I want the most hated Super Bowl matchup of all time. I want America to be forced to choose to pick either the team they hate or the team they really hate. Either way, it's I can't wait to see where people's loyalties lie with that one. Interesting. Um, boy, it's really hard to argue with any of what you just said. I, I do think that they are just so balanced. I think all all Super Bowl teams have a couple things in common. That is they control the line of scrimmage and they have mistake-free quarterback play and really and, – and, and, and good head coaching. I want to say elite head coaching, but definitely good head coaching. And I think Dallas has all of that. I think that they're just impressive. Their defense has been better than, than I think a lot of people would have thought. Um, they are generating a, a, a bit of a pass rush. Like I said earlier, Sean Lee being healthy. It sucks that they lost uh, Mo Claiborne for, uh, what, six to eight weeks with a torn groin, possibly the season. Um, yeah, and Barry Church and, uh, as well. Yeah, Barry Church with a broken arm, and but he's going to be back. I think he's he's I think he's what four to six weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So Barry Church will be back this year. Yeah. But it does that, those were two devastating blows to the back end of that defense. Um, but I think they're very interesting, and I think right now, I mean, with the struggles that Minnesota's having, I think that they have to be considered one of the favorites. Um, to come out of the NFC, I think Seattle's having real offensive line problems right now. Uh, we'll see how, the, you know, they're going to get a test against Buffalo on Monday night. I think that Minnesota cannot just, they just can't move the ball on offense. It seems like just, I, you know, the defense is still elite and I, Mike Zimmer's still a good head coach, but I mean, they got, I don't know, any, any team that's ever won a Super Bowl when their offensive coordinator resigned in the middle of the season. Um, I, I just, that's just weird to me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, North Turner was a great offensive coordinator until injuries started piling up, and then he gets the blame, which is, you know, I, I don't think you can put that Turner this year. Uh, Turner has his, his definitely his pitfall, especially as a head coach, but I think he's been a fine offensive coordinator for the last handful of years considering the uh, the talent he's dealt, you know, outside of Adrian Peterson with that team. So, I mean, I don't know if there's any other contenders in the NFC East. I would like to think it's the Giants, and I like to think they spent the bye week getting themselves together, but we'll see against Philadelphia. I'm not holding my breath, but it would be nice by this time next week. We're talking about the five and three giants. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know on paper if any other team in the NFC is really, you know, as balanced and as playing as well. And it is in rhythm as Dallas. And I think it all starts with that offensive line. I just think that offensive line is impressive. It's the best unit in the league. It's, I mean, it's the best unit in the league by a, by a, by a long shot. And, um, yeah, I mean, if I'm, you know, gun to my head, I said Minnesota last time we had this conversation, but gun to my head, it's Dallas out of the NFC this year. Well, and here's the beautiful thing, too. Uh, the best possible matchup as far as the Super Bowl goes, I think it's New England and Dallas because the best way yeah. to beat Tom Brady is to keep him off the field. Who keeps the opposing quarterback off the field better than Dallas? Best way to beat him. And also, what team is better at having long, sustained drives and then finishing with a touchdown than Dallas? I mean, you saw it in the Buffalo game, their first drive. You cannot go down the field on New England and kick a field goal. I don't care if it's fourth and ten and you're in the red zone. You go for it against New England because they're going to storm right down the field and shove it down your throat like they did with former Buffalo Bill Chris Hogan. Yeah, and we're we're gonna talk about them. We're saving that for the end of the show. Um, 
But you brought up the New England Patriots, and I think what happened with the Patriots this week is very, very interesting. So they traded Jamie Collins for a compensatory third-round pick to the Browns. Very interesting they traded with the Browns again. The Patriots seem to be just they've, – they've, they're picking on the Browns at this point. I think they realize that the front office isn't exactly uh, you know, on the same level as theirs, and I think they're almost bullying them a little bit, which is interesting because Jamie Collins, as an athlete, it doesn't get much more athletic than him. If I'm not mistaken, he broke the world record for the standing long jump during his combine, which was subsequently broken by your safety – Who's Dallas? Who's Dallas' safety? Why? Why am I drawing a blank? Uh, they just drafted him oh, two Byron, years ago. Byron UConn. Jones out of Connecticut. Byron Jones, thank you. Byron Jones then broke yeah. Jamie Collins' record, but Byron Jones is a lot smaller than Jamie Collins. Jamie Collins, my, uh, Michael Lombardi, who in my at least one of my favorite people in the media. Um, I think he's on the level of a Greg Cosell. I, Greg Cosell is by far and away my favorite person in the media. It's not even close. I mean, the difference between Greg Cosell and. Uh, and anyone else is the distance between, you know, LeBron and anyone else in the NBA right now. It's just not even really a matchup. But anyway, Mike Lombardi had a uh, – he, he said that he used to tell Jamie Collins in the, in the uh, halls uh, when, he, when he worked for the Patriots, when he was uh, Bill Belichick's special assistant, that the defense is as good as Jamie Collins wants it to be. And Jamie Collins doesn't want it to be that good this year, so hence it hasn't. Um, the, the play that got Jamie Collins sent out of town was the Gillisley run at the beginning of the game where he ran for 28 yards, where Jamie Collins just sort of uh, sort of dragged ass a little bit and didn't quite make the play. And it just – he wasn't given effort. And, and Belichick, I think, did a good job of sending a message to his team is that all of you are uh, disposable. Every single player on that team is disposable. Brady, I think, on some level, is, it falls into that group, unfortunately, as great as Brady's playing. But I think Belichick did himself uh, – sort of a little bit of a favor and a little boost to his ego to even point out that, you know, he wouldn't do this ever publicly, but I think in his back of his head, he knows that he can boot Brady out of town and still win with Jimmy G there. So, but I think the message that he sent to his team was super powerful. And I, I don't know if they lose another game. I didn't think they were going to lose another game anyway, looking at their schedule. I think really that Pittsburgh game was their real true test this year. And unfortunately they, you know, they didn't get to play Ben Roethlisberger, uh, which as a football fan, I was pretty disappointed in. But I think sending Jamie Collins out of town and purposely sending him to the Broncos, or excuse me, to the Browns, they could have sent that guy anywhere as he went to the Browns. Um, I thought that, that was a very, very interesting move. And I don't know, I can ever be convinced that that wasn't an intentional move to send him to the worst team in the league. Uh, I thought that that was uh, really, really interesting by Belichick. It has to be intentional. I mean, Belichick is so calculated. Everything he does, there's never any coincidence with him. It's all planned out, and it's all just to get back at you. And you can't argue against New England's mindset. I mean, they stockpile these picks. They don't pay these big contracts that bite them in the butt. How many, I mean, maybe Von Miller is the one exception here as far as defensive players, but how many times have you seen a defensive player have a couple great seasons and then cash in on a big money contract, much like Indomitian Sue? leave and then not be worth it at all, not even close to worth it. So, I mean, you can't argue the Patriots scheme. He was he was going to be a free agent after this year. He was going to command big money, and they think, oh, we'll just get three or four, you know, linebackers in the draft, and, you know, we'll hit big with one of them and have to pay him a fraction of the amount that we pay Collins. I, I can't knock it. No, I can't either, and I, I think that that's 100% right. I think it's absurd for him to ask for the money that he's rumored to have asked for. 
And also, one of my biggest pet peeves in life, and and I, I'm going to steal away the word it that made sense to me, which was Colin Cowherd has a great way of putting this, which is, um, do you love football or do you love what football does for you? Um, and I think I think Jamie Collins is a guy. I mean, it's perfectly demonstrated by his quote how he doesn't like watching football. He'd rather play video games. He likes what football does for him. He likes the life that football provides for him. And I think that that is exactly exactly why Belichick shipped him out of town. You know, what did Brady do when he was off? He watched football every Sunday, he said, minus the time he was, you know, tanning on a beach dude in Italy. But, you know, when you're married to Giselle, that's what you do. So I'm not going to judge the man. But because uh, if I had to pick between watching football all day on Sunday or going tanning naked on a beach with a supermodel, I'm probably going to go with the beach thing, even as a married man. Sorry, love. Uh, but just, you know, Bell, I mean, who – what, I mean, what did Peyton Manning after he retired do? What did he spend all summer doing? He was going to training camps. He was going to NFL training camps. He's been he's been in the booth in college football games. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, you either love or hate Peyton Manning, but that guy loves football, you know. And Jamie Collins yep. doesn't love football. And we didn't talk. We I didn't write this in the show description, but we were going to get into this. I don't know if Cam Newton loves football. Um, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because I think that subject now has been beaten to death. I think if we did the show yesterday, it would be a little bit more relevant. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on Cam Newton and his and his uh, his quotes there. But I don't know if Cam Newton loves football. He, I think he made a mistake. I think he made an error by saying he doesn't feel safe playing football. I, I think he had a lot of valid points. I, I don't think that he was wrong in a lot of what he was saying as far as, you know, getting hit and not feeling and not having, you know, not getting the calls out of the quarterback's get. I, I do think that there is a double standard, not necessarily in racial terms, but in, in running terms and style of play terms. I think if you're going to call a penalty on a position group, I think it should be the same across the board, regardless of if that player is Eli Manning or if that player is Russell West, or excuse me, Russell Wilson. I, I, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I, well, think, I think Cam Newton has a very valid argument. And it's one thing, too, you know, when Cam Newton is running out of the pocket up the sidelines, and, you know, he basically becomes a running back and you go to tackle him. Yeah. So, I mean, we're seeing him in the pocket, guys lunging at his legs in the Denver game, guys hitting him in the in the helmet with the crown. I mean, it's just it, – stuff has to be flagged. Enough of this NFL yeah, Brandon Marshall was, where we're all about – Yeah. Yeah, we're all about player health and safety, and then you're letting this guy get killed, you know, in the pocket. It's ridiculous. And I think position. I, I think that I think that running aside, I, I cannot believe the helmet to helmet hit on the goal line at the Atlanta game wasn't called. The the hit on um, the hit on him in the Denver game by Brandon Marshall wasn't called. I, I think Cam Newton has a legitimate gripe here, and I think I think all running quarterbacks. And I and I I think that like big like Roethlisberger, right? Roethlisberger, same issue. Everyone will point. Roethlisberger didn't complain. Roethlisberger did complain when he was getting hit all that time. Excuse me. Roethlisberger threatened or was, was thinking about retirement a couple of years ago. I, I just you know, and and rightfully so. I don't think he's wrong, and I don't think Cam Newton's wrong, and I don't know if Cam Newton has the shelf life that we all thought he was going to. But he's in his sixth year, and and he's already talking about the end of the road. I mean, we know this because we're mixed martial arts fans and we like the UFC. But once you start talking about the end, you're done. You're checking out. You're not. You know, if Tom Brady still at 39 years old, lives, sleeps, eats, breathes football. He's not talking about the end of the road. He wants to play another 10 years. Cam's talking about the end of the road. He's been in the league 10 years less than Brady, you know, and that's not a knock on Cam. That is 100% not a knock on Cam. 
I, I just think that I, I think he's right. I, I think that he is unfairly targeted. I can see why he feels the way he does. But I think voicing the not safe part, you're just asking for it. And I don't know if he's ever the same as he was last year after hearing that. Yeah, can't disagree with you. It's, the guy's athleticism just keeps him at a higher level, but eventually when that starts to decline a little bit, you know, athleticism can only get you so far. You you know, you have to you have to put in the work and the dedication and the time to watch game film and your heart has to be in it or you know, you're gonna get hurt out there. Yeah, hundred percent agree. So anyway, uh we keep talking about Brady, we keep talking about the Patriots. I think this is going to be I'm not uh, what, similar to what you let me do with Josh Brown last week. I'm going to let you do it with the Buffalo Bills before reminding everybody you're listening to Under the Hoodies with Bill and Tony. Uh, this has been a this has been a good episode, minus my little flub here um, when uh, looking for Jalen Ramsey's last name because full disclosure, I friggin' for the life of me couldn't remember who the hell I had, and uh, my computer froze and I had a list and my list went away. Anyway, I, this computer's a POS, so but. Tony, Buffalo Bills. Yes. I don't know. I wrote. I, I don't know if you're going to attack the fan base or you're going to attack the Bills or what you're going to do, but all I'm going to say is I'm going to put my phone on mute. I'm going to grab something to drink, and I'm just going to let you go. So, three, two, one, go. Oh, Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo. Listen to me very carefully, Buffalo. This this is for the Bills. This is for Bills Mafia. Your rivalry with the Patriots is dead and buried. The definition of a rivalry, or basically the essence of a rivalry, is back and forth. We beat you. You beat us. The Patriots and Brady are 26-3 and three against you. This is not a rivalry. This is a beatdown. This is a pro team going against a JV squad. It's not even close. You guys haven't beaten the Patriots twice in a season since 1999. Coincidentally, your last playoff season. You're nowhere near the Patriots and anywhere near their league. The fact that you're in the same division of them and that you're cursed, I feel sorry for you. I, I pity you. It's unfortunate, I know. But stop with... Just, ah, stop, Bill's Mafia. You make this out as the biggest game of the year. This is our year. This is our team. This is the time we beat the Patriots. You get all this false bravado and all this false optimism. And I also want to blame Rex Ryan for it because you puff your chest up and make this your biggest game of the year. This is the Super Bowl. We're going to troll the Patriots. We're going to, oh, God, you pissed me off so much. Your fans... Do not get it. It needs to be drilled into their skull. The fact that you can't appreciate how good a player is, and you can say all you want that I'm a, a Tom Brady homer. Make no doubt about it. I hate the Patriots. I hate Tom Brady. But I can respect greatness and what he's doing. And the fact that you Bills fans want to come out and say, oh, Tom Brady, it's just it, he, it's part of the system. You can plug any quarterback in there and he'd be great. That's utter bull. Appreciate what he can do, especially when he's spanking your team week after week, year after year. The story does not change. And just when you think there's a silver lining and Brady will be done in a few years, in comes Jimmy Garoppolo, who's just going to continue spanking you 
just like Brady did, just like Brady always has and always will, hard look in the mirror. The New England Patriots are your daddy. Respect that. I'm done. All right, Bills fans, that was Tony DiNicola. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Syracuse, or excuse me, Tony Cuse 44. Uh, feel free to send him your comments. I'm very uh, interested to see what uh, see what Oh, said. please do. Please um, send me your comments. I want to hear what you really think, Bills Mafia. Hashtag Bills Mafia. Hit me up at Tony Cuse 44. I want to hear from you. Please, I beg you. I'm trying hard not to laugh into the mic here, but uh, but that's good stuff. Um, it's really hard to disagree with this, though. I'm I'm I, I I never like when people are like, oh, I'm not touching that subject. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here with you a little bit. I'm not gonna go to your level because I have to live with these people. But uh, you're right. For all intents and purposes, this is not a rivalry. This is just a annual you know ass kicking, and it, it's it should start becoming a tradition. You know, I, I get it. Bill's Mafia, you guys like powerbombing each other through tables and uh, you know, taking uh you know, taking butt funnels. Uh literally literal butt funnels. Um good looking girl by the way. But uh you know Oh, smoke show. This isn't a rivalry though. Yeah, she was in the bed. Um but this isn't a rivalry. You're hundred percent right. I mean that's like saying, you know, me and LeBron playing pickup basketball every weekend and he just continuously beats me, which obviously was exactly what would happen would be a rivalry. It's not a rivalry. The Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens had a rivalry. The Giants-Eagles have a rivalry. The Dallas Cowboys-Philadelphia Eagles have a rivalry. You know, there's, there's, there's rivalries. The Bills' rivalry is probably closer to, you know, the Jets or Miami. Those are rivals. The Patriots just come to town and own you, and then they just head, head back to Boston. Yeah, that, I mean, that's all that happened. So, Tony, you're 100% right here. Um, and I wish it was different. And... Oh, sorry about that noise in the background. Uh, I don't know why, but when my washer's finished, it plays a little ditty at the end of it. I don't understand. But anyway, yeah, you're 100% right, Tony. And it's really sad that it's like this because Buffalo is a great, has a great fan base. They're very passionate. Bills um, need a new stadium so they can get some of these degenerates out of there. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it does get a little concerning uh, when you're in Bills game, although you and I both love uh, Barstool and Deadspin covering Bills Mafia. It's definitely fun, but it's just – you don't have the weapons. You don't have the quarterback. You don't have the head coach. You know, you beat a third-string quarterback, a third-string rookie quarterback, um, and, you know, it, it just – you caught the Patriots with their pants down, but I don't know if Buffalo going to win another game against it. the Patriots. Oh, yeah. I don't think Buffalo is going to win another game uh, against New England in the next five years. So you can look forward to that being 36-3, and unfortunately. Um, but – that being said, I do feel bad for the Buffalo Bills team. Not necessarily their fans as much as the team, because Tyrod was throwing to some guys that I don't think belong in the league. Uh, Walter Powell ugh, could not separate, obviously. Malcolm Butler probably had the easiest day of his life, guarding Walter Powell, a hobbled Robert Woods, and Brandon Tate. Oh, oh, hold on. i got to stand on a chair real quick. Did you just see what when I saw the Patriots... in, in the Tampa game? No, I'm not watching that right now. But hold on, let me say okay, this. Sorry. When the Patriots want something from you and you have an opportunity to stop them from getting it, don't do it. What is wrong with you? If they come to town and like, hey, we want to pay Chris Hogan $1.3 million, and we're like, 
Nah, we're fine. We're all set with receivers. We got Robert Woods and a busted down Sammy Watkins. Take our, you know, third best receiver, probably second best. Just why? Why? Why do teams do this? Why do they get cheap at the worst possible time? It makes no sense. If Greg Popovich were to yep. call me right now and it was like, hey, I will buy your $1 bill in your wallet for $100, I am slamming my phone on the ground and stomping it with my wife's high heel. I, there's no way. I just don't understand these, these, these teams that do this. Why are teams so cheap? Why are teams allowing themselves to get picked on by smarter people? I'm not smart, but I'm pretty sure I could stop myself from getting swindled by somebody smarter just by the fact that he's smarter. It doesn't make sense when teams do this. It's so stupid. I, a few years ago, thought the smartest thing the Washington Redskins could do when the Giants had a restricted free agent on their team named Victor Cruz, the Redskins could do one of two things. They could offer him a massive contract, force the Giants to match it, and, and make the Giants overpay Victor Cruz, right? They could do that. I don't know why they didn't, or they could just get him. They would get him with that massive contract. And we all know the Washington Redskins aren't, you know, shy when it comes to signing overpriced free agents. So I just don't understand why teams don't do that more often. But Buffalo, when the New England Patriots want one of your players and you don't do anything to sign him, put five guys on him if he's a wide receiver. It doesn't make any sense. You knew. You and I both knew Chris Hogan was going to score at least one touchdown in that game. He was going to make the Bills oh. pay. And he's not even that I, good of a play. That is crazy. I called it in the offseason at least one touchdown, guaranteed. And Belichick is a master of it, of taking other people's pieces and burning them with them. I mean, it's it, – my God, it's insane. I don't care how much they have nah. to pay. need to keep them away from New England. Yes. It wasn't even that much money. It was like $1.3 million. It wasn't anything. You're paying, you're, you're paying Tyrod $9 million, which is fine for him this year. Next year, that doubles. And you're going to pay. You, and, he's, and you have no weapons around him. You have a makeshift offensive line. You have a running back who has hurt a lot. No disrespect to Shady McCoy. I think that guy through week six was probably the MVP of the league, right? Okay, but he has a history of getting hurt, nicked up. I, I just don't understand. If you have an offensive weapon, you knew Sammy Watkins' foot was messed up last year, the end of last year. You knew he was getting surgery on in the offseason. You knew Robert Woods wasn't that good. You know that Percy Harvin retired. You knew all of this. You had to bring in Reggie Bush. You had to bring in Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, who hasn't been freaking relevant in the NFL because he played for the Saints. Ridiculous, dude ridiculous why do teams do this it's so stupid i'm i'm so oh my god i'm just so done watching these subpar nfl teams just get taken advantage by these smarter teams it's ridiculous and i'm afraid the giants are going to fall into it if they don't fire jerry reese and rant i need some water well uh i guess the only thing that i can add uh is hey I just almost spit my water out. Um, <laughs> see you next year, Buffalo. Jesus. Um, good thing yeah. the AFC is down this year. The Bills actually have a relatively decent shot of breaking their uh, playoff drought. Although, losing to Miami is not going to help you. I mean, we all saw the New England game coming. Nobody saw the Miami game coming. But, hey, let's let our running back who's, you know, 27 years old make a decision on his hamstring instead of the doctors you probably pay as much as you would have paid Chris Hogan. But, you know, that's the I, I, there. 
So I just want anyway, to say I saw the Miami game coming. So you know, you did. Speaking you did. of you Miami too, the show. we got it on wax. Yeah. Go ahead. If Miami beats the Jets and Buffalo, I, I highly doubt their chances in Seattle on Monday night. Uh, Miami will be in second place come Tuesday morning. Very solid point. Very very solid point. Um, okay. I think we're both done. Sorry, you got me fired up, and you you were you were mad at me for not being as animated as I wanted to be during the Josh Brown thing last week uh, last week. But you know that was already old news at that point, and I had already you know you know uh, sort of went off and got it out of my system a little bit. So I had to well, do and as much as we're um, hating on Buffalo and their fans, I mean. Both. You you live in Buffalo now. You still have to deal with it. I lived in Buffalo for two years. Enough is enough. Like, get a clue, Buffalo fans. Be honest with yourselves. It's okay. Take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and admit what your team is. Well, you and I know a lot of smart – you and I know a lot of smart Bills fans, okay? My best friend is a very smart Bills fan. Our buddy Harley is a very smart Bills fan. But we do know other people that are not quite on their level as far as being a rational Buffalo Bills fan, right? So um, it's, it is tough, though, because you go to Bills games and you get deluded. You talk to, like, three idiots that have done nothing all day but, you know, drink and smoke weed, and then you expect some kind of rational thought out of them. But the reason they're drinking and smoking weed is because they've had a crap product their whole lives. You're talking to a 23-year-old that, you know, was six the last time the Bills made the playoffs. I mean, that's really just sad. So, I, I get it. I feel bad. They're a tortured franchise. Now that the Cubs won, I think Buffalo is vaulting itself pretty close to the top of one of the most tortured franchises in sports. But you do it to yourself. That's all I really say. Not fans, but the organization. You do it to yourself. You had opportunities. You could have drafted Derek Carr. You could have traded up instead of for Sammy Watkins, maybe use some of those assets to find a franchise quarterback instead of a receiver, which is the most disposable position in sports. I agreed with Steve Spurrier, by the way. I love Odell Beckham, but he's his replace. I mean, and, and as great as Julio is, all receivers are, are pretty much replaceable, almost all of them. I mean, maybe Beckham and Julio are bad examples, but I'm just saying. Receivers outside of the elite ones are a dime a dozen. You can't build your offense around them. I'd much rather have Zeke Elliott than Des Bryant. All things being equal to their personalities, we say we have two church-going guys that do nothing but work out and read the Bible. Both those guys, I would take Zeke Elliott all day over Des Bryant. I, I, I just would. So, anyway, let's go to our uh, bad team, our bad uh, game prediction here. So, I'm going to read you off some of the candidates on, on games we can bet on. Excuse me. First, I have the Jets at Dolphins. That's one. I'm gonna, let me just finish my list before we decide who. Saints at Niners. Panthers at Rams. Oh, uh, man. Titans at Chargers. I don't know if that's a bad game or not. That's really it. Bills at Seahawks. So, I think the, my opinion of what I would go with is the, is the Jets-Dolphins. We have six teams on buys this, this week, by the way. So, um, so I'm going Jets-Dolphins as my worst game of the week. I would say the worst game, I mean, if you go record-wise, would be Niners-Saints. But I just don't think that would be fun for us to talk about or bet on because there's no way either one of us are going to take the Niners. So I'm going to have to agree with you and go Jets-Dolphins. Okay. Um, so <laughs> apparently Bing predicts that Miami is going to win. There's a 68.8% chance that Miami wins this game. So, um, uh 
Who are you? Who are you going to pick? I'll go the opposite of you. I think you won the last time, so I'll go opposite of you. Uh, I'm going to take the Dolphins. Um, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but that uh, that new young running back they have, a Jai, a J, a Jai. I, I want to say it's a Jai. A Jai. It's a Jai. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I was close, but trust yeah, me, I, 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 it's a bit of, I had a, I had a bit of that beast. Out. Yeah, and yeah. I right now I. Uh, I guess I trust Ryan Tannehill more than the turnover machine Fitzpatrick. But, I mean, I, you know, that's not saying much. So, Miami, because the weather's nice and they have Are you taking the fun. points? I don't know. What are the are points you taking again? the points? Miami by four. Miami by four. Yeah, I'll take the points. Why not? Okay. All right, perfect. So Miami has to win by more than four points, or I win. So yeah, I would actually, I I think all things being equal, I probably would take the Jets. Um, I actually like their, uh, I like the Jets' defensive front going against Miami's. Uh, I like the fact that the Jets are going to put pressure on Tannehill. I think that always bodes well. And um, although Sheldon Richardson's very disgruntled right now because he was almost traded at the trade deadline to your Cowboys, which was a great pickup for you guys. Um, but I think the asking price was too high by the Jets for Dallas to pull the trigger on. But, um, but yeah, yeah I, I think that um, – I, I do think – I think even if you didn't pick Miami, I probably would have wanted to pick the Jets, especially at that point spread. So, uh, yeah, man, I, uh, I think this is, this is a legit bet. We'll watch this game. So, um, Tony has Miami by four. So, let me write that down in my little book here. Um, Tony – What are we wagering? Miami – uh, plus four. I owe you so far thirty push-ups on that on that bus. So I gotta I gotta win the next handful of weeks um, uh, to get back to even. Jets. Well, we have to do something for the show. Um, oops, I said plus four. Sorry, minus four. Um, so yeah. Um, but we have to do something for the show. Like I think we have to assign the per. Oh no, I just thought of what we could do actually. I think we Dan and I were going to do this originally, and we just never got around to it. It's actually kind of tough. So how about this? We have to assign the person a Netflix movie to watch between now and the next episode. And um, so that's when we'll start wagering, all right? We're going to start wagering on that. We're going to start – basically, you have to come in with a movie. You have to come in with, like, maybe three movies or three things for me to watch. Um, And I have to pick one that I haven't seen. Movies are tough with me because I I see a lot of movies. But um, we'll say Netflix because we both have Netflix. So we'll say Netflix movie, and we have to watch by the next episode, and we have to end the episode with giving a quick two-minute review on it to prove to the other person that we saw it, that we watched it. I'm, I'm down for that. Fun. Does that include documentaries as well? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, documentaries. Documentaries are good. I will only ever assign you good things, though. I'm not going to punish you and make you watch a terrible movie. I would never do that, but I will always assign you movies that I love. And I think if I win oh. next week, I already have my first choice. Oh, don't worry. I'll assign you a wrestling documentary. I'll find one. There's no doubt. I know you will. You're going to assign me the CM Punk one, probably. Um, but, yeah, I, I uh, which actually I'm kind of interested in watching. But uh, I've seen Beyond the Mat. Really Beyond good. Beyond the Mat's one of my five favorite documentaries of all time. I love that doc. That's a great that's, – that's up there. I, there's, my favorite documentary of all time is Let the Fire Burn. Um, and that's probably what I would assign you. As far as I know, it's on Netflix. I will know by next week um, if I win. But uh, but yeah, it's that that to me is the best documentary ever. Um, I love all the thirty for thirties. But let the fire burn is probably my favorite. And uh, 
So yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll watch what you would like. That's uh, that's absolutely fine. But uh, it's, we're not just limiting to documentaries. There's movies too. You'll be watching. There will be blood. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Gangs in New York, but you'll be seeing that at some point. So I'm excited. Nope. Because uh, these are things I love talking about. I want to do a movie podcast in the worst way, but it's already kind of hard for me to shoehorn time in to do this one. Um, so uh, I don't know if I could. But yeah, I would love to do a movie podcast. So that would that I I think uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this that listen to the show. I would seriously doubt it. Um, but I love movies almost as much as I love sports. Um, pretty damn equal. Um, and uh, my my friends uh, from home. Well, are probably nodding vigorously if they're listening to this, my extreme nerddom of movies and how I talk about movies that they don't give a shit about. And, uh, and it wouldn't be a show without me cursing, by the way, but that they, that they don't care about and, uh, and then going on about it to the point where they should, uh, where I should just stop talking. Fun. Yeah. I don't know enough about movies to, uh, do a podcast with you on that, but, uh, if you want to talk pro wrestling, you know, I'll talk that all day. So, Tony, we actually might, if you have time, I might actually, I might actually get you to do a, a wrestling podcast for the website. I, I honestly think it would be fun. I would actually listen to it just to hear you without me. Um, but so let's get into our entertainment picks. Uh, what's your suggestion? I actually have two. I didn't tell you about one, but I have two. Um, so what's your, what are yours? I'm going to be perfectly honest. I could not think of a good one. My failsafe was going to be uh, not even a specific watch. But anything Cubs-related where fans are celebrating, any YouTube video you can find, ESPN has posted a bunch on Facebook. Stuff like that is just so much fun to watch, you know, after 108 years, just the pure euphoria. But I actually just Mm -hmm. thought of a really good one in the last two minutes. You just jogged my memory talking about Netflix and uh, wrestling documentaries, because you mentioned Beyond the Mat. Another great mm-hmm. one that goes along the lines of Beyond the Mat called Wrestling with Shadows. Uh, around 1996-1997, a documentary crew followed around Bret the Hitman Hart for an entire year to detail his entire life. Anybody that knows you know, a bit about wrestling knows that in 1997, in November, one of the biggest moments in wrestling history behind the scenes happened, and that was the Montreal Screwjob. So it just so happened that a documentary crew was there filming everything behind the scenes when one of the most monumental events in professional wrestling history took place. I mean, this event, if you don't know anything about wrestling, and probably most of you don't care, but I don't care if you don't care, so I'm going to talk about it. it. It changed the way, you know, wrestling, the way everything went in the late 90s. It basically helped catalyze the wrestling boom that took place, you know, up and through the 2000s. So, yeah, Wrestling with Shadows, Birth the Hitman Heart, amazing documentary. It just coincidentally took place in the most important moment in wrestling history, and you get to see everything behind the scenes, including Vince McMahon after he got punched out by a nice left hook from Birth the Hitman Heart, you know, a few minutes after. That's not a bad choice. That sounds actually really interesting. I was ball deep in wrestling back at that time, so... Uh, that might be uh, kind of nostalgic and interesting for me. So I actually might end up checking that out. Um, so I have two. I stole one accidentally from you, but you hadn't seen it. You hadn't seen it, so I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to feel too bad about it. And that's Joe Rogan's Triggered, uh, his new documentary that he put out about a week ago. Um, I watched it over the weekend. It's fantastic. Uh, the stuff he does on the Kardashians to end his show is fantastic. It's 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 
it's along the lines of kind of a one man show performance art thing. It's, it's amazing. Um, Joe Rogan's a 50 year old man or almost a 50 year old man. And, uh, what he does on a uh, stool, um, as, uh, as a, uh, as a fly or as a, um, just some, just a ghoul whispering into a Kardashian's ear is some of the best stuff you'll ever see uh, by a comedian. It, it's it's why he is who he is and why he's one of the hundred most famous people on the planet. And I I think he deserves every single accolade he gets. I mean that guy is there a better guy uh, calling sports uh, than UFC, than Joe Rogan calling the UFC? I mean who who really rivals him? I would say maybe Al Michaels and um, I mean even though he's the play by play essentially. Uh, on that, but I, I mean, there's as far as enjoyment, I love Al Michaels, um, I love Gus Johnson, I, I like Mike Breen a lot, and Joe Rogan. I think he's, I think he's the class of uh, as sports commentating, and he does it as a side job. So to tell you how good he is, and my other one is go on YouTube. <laughs> there's two of my favorite YouTube videos on on all of the internet. All right, they're fantastic. That's Adam Carolla and Bill Simmons talking, doing a basic cable commentary on, uh, there's one on Con Air and one on Face Off, two of the most ridiculous 90s action movies you've ever seen, both ironically starring Nick Cage. Um, but go on YouTube, watch them. They're about 15 minutes each. They're fantastic. Some of the funniest stuff you'll ever see on the internet if you're as big of a movie action fan or an action movie fan as I am. It, it, they're hilarious. So, um, I would definitely definitely recommend Joe Rogan Triggered and uh, the two basic cable commentaries by Adam Carolla and Bill Simmons from Adam Carolla's old radio show um, in, in Los Angeles. It's fantastic stuff. It's hilarious. It's pretty timeless because those movies, you know, everybody still most most everybody I know like movies has seen those has seen those and even if you're a movie snob, you can appreciate just the absurdity of those movies. So um, yeah, good stuff there. But, uh, but yeah, Tony, um, anything else? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm, uh, I was just going to suggest, you know, as soon as we're done, turn on the, uh, Atlanta Tampa Bay game, uh, 10-7 right now Falcons and two quarterbacks, you know, Matt Ryan, James Winston, just going back and forth. Uh, Winston, you know, marches down the field, nice end zone throw to Mike Evans, who ran a great route and, Maddie Ice, baby, came right back, I think, a minute, 40 seconds later and matched him with his own touchdown throw. So, yeah, definitely give that a watch. Nice. Yeah, that's what I'm going to turn on once the show ends. Um, so, all right, man. Well, good show. Good talking to you. Love doing the show with you. Tony and I have uh, slowly but steady, we're working on this. We got some good feedback from uh, people in uh, a couple important positions in uh, at least our local radio area. So, kind of uh, kind of good stuff. I'm not going to say who it is, and I'm not – I don't know if I even wanted to tease it, but I'm going to tease it. And uh, you'll see it on Twitter maybe two a day or two before. But we're looking at getting a special guest on the next handful of weeks, one I'm very, very nervous about. But um, but if we get him on, oh, boy, will I be absolutely friggin' delighted. So um, fingers crossed. And, uh, Tony, I think I talked to you about who that is. So uh, without dropping any names. Um, look forward to that. I, again, we will tweet it. We're going to promote the hell out of it, and I hope that turns out to be our biggest show. And uh, similar to John Murphy, um, I hope there's no te- technical difficulties on either of our ends because this is a this would be a massive, massive get for us. So uh, really hoping it, really hoping it comes through. So um, 
But all right, go ahead. Find us on Twitter at Bill Kegel at Tony Cuse forty four. Um and uh backsportspage.com. Jeez, I had a brain fire. Backsportspage.com. You can listen to us on Blog Talk Radio under the hoodies. Um, we're, we're doing social media stuff with our, uh, we're branching out a little bit. We're going to do, uh, under the hoodies, Twitter, under the hoodies, Instagram, and, uh, maybe a Facebook page. And Tony and I are going to try doing some Skyping stuff. And, and next weekend, Tony, not this weekend, but the weekend after we're doing our live UFC 205 podcast, dude. I'm so pumped. We're going to break it down an entire UFC 205 podcast only. I'm very excited. We're going to do it on Saturday. We're going to do it in person. We're going to do it in my garage. And uh, I could not be more thrilled for it. We're having a bunch of people over. Um, Some of those people are more than welcome to come on the show. And uh, it's going to be a good time. Um, I'm not sure how long we're going to do it for. Yeah. This will be the first time I've seen you since you helped me move from Buffalo back to Syracuse about two months ago. I mean, I miss you, man. That's very exciting for you. Yeah. That's very exciting for you. I'm glad. I'm glad you get to see me in a couple of weeks here. So, um, yeah, it's good for you. Um, we're going on about yeah. 10 days, and then, you know, you're reunited with me. That's very, very exciting. But uh, I'm oh, looking forward great. to your happiness and seeing me. That's going to be great for you. But um, Well, thank you, you pretentious yeah. douchebag. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Yeah, my daughter, that's her, that, was her, that was her first sentence, oddly enough. But, uh, but no, nah, man. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, UFC 205 with Conor McGregor. And uh, I cannot do an Irish accent to save my life. You gotta, I got to have Maggie train me on guy? that, Who the fuck Thank you. Thank God guy? you didn't just swear. <laughs> Dude, I love that guy so much. Conor is my favorite, favorite athlete alive right now. That dude is the best. Oh, man. There's nothing, there's nothing that brings me more joy uh, than watching – Conor McGregor, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to my daughter in advance. She'll listen to this someday, doubtful. But there's nothing that brings me more joy than seeing how happy Conor McGregor was for a McGregor fan to troll Eddie Alvarez to his face. Oh, that brings me so much joy, how happy he was. I love this God, guy. That I is love the, this guy. I love this guy. This guy. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, but all right, man. Look forward to that. We'll do a show next week. Uh, it's gonna be. We're back on Wednesdays, uh, by the way. We're gonna we're gonna try our best to stick to Wednesdays. Um, but uh, you know, had a birthday party yesterday for a good friend of yours and mine, so uh, had to go there. So, alrighty, Tony. Good show. Good talking to you. And we are what, Tony? Oh yeah, dig it. All right. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> <laughs>